0: It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has commissioned us. He has put His seal upon us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming to Corinth, <coughs> not that we lorded over you. Over your faith we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in faith. For I made up my mind not to make you another painful visit. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote. Out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you.
1: Let us be attentive. Glory to you, Lord, glory to
0: you.
1: The Lord said this parable: the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a marriage feast for his son, and sent his servants to call us who were invited to the marriage feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, sent his troops to destroy those birds and burned their city. And he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the thoroughfares and invite them to the marriage peace as many as you find. And those servants went out into the streets and gathered. Saw there a man who had no wedding garment, and he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, I him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. Therein will weep and mash their teeth, for many are called." to you who proclaims the gospel
2: And in the homily walks out with a wild flower.
0: <laughs>
2: I really do like the sermons, mostly because they're over sooner. This will not be one of them, I fear. So I ask your forgiveness up front. Hopefully, there will be something here I believe in. Maybe I need to speak a little louder. Yes, so when I read the gospel, I was preparing to give this homily today. Um, Immediately my thoughts turned towards some things I've been reading in the book by Archimandrite Zacharias, Remember Thy First Love. And I that may be a little too loud Um, I have um, been reading this book um, pretty intently you might say obsessively for some time and I thought I would give you a little tiny bit of background so that as I'm talking about him and his teachings you know a little bit about who he is so Saint Silouan was a Russian peasant in the late 1800s and he was very pious in his youth But like many people, he was waylaid. He he tried to live the Christian life, but he went into, uh, he started working and he had money and as a teenager he enjoyed the, what do we call it, the, the wild oats of youth. And yet he still felt periodically this yearning and this pull and at one point he started praying. He, he really, really wanted to know God. He started praying, and he felt a call to um, to go to monasticism and He asked for a blessing from his father and his father said, "No, not until you 've completed your military service and so he go to military service and during the military service time, he had really, that uh, would, that maybe perhaps less than holy. But nevertheless, he came back and he left for the Holy Mountain. Before he left for the Holy Mountain, he was able to experience the grace of God in a very tangible way. And it was this that set the tone for life. There was another man named. Sofroni, who was also Russian, but he was an artist. And this Russian artist traveled to um, Berlin and Paris studying art. He also studied philosophy. He left Marxist Russia because he was not a Marxist, but he was um, definitely in, although he was a spiritual and, and pious person, he was definitely involved in academia and in the art world. And He decided he was going to go, at one point, to give up all of his art and to enter the monastery and he goes to the holy mountain. And this happens when he has an encounter with St. Silouan and he spends the last of years of St. Silouan's life, eight years, sitting at his feet essentially, absorbing the teaching. Now St. Silouan was a semi-literate, simple peasant. And Elder Sophroni or Sophrony, was this very, very intellectual, artistic person. And yet he laid his entire life at the feet of this simple monk. Because he recognized that this monk lived true theology. Father Zacharias was a Greek from the Isle of Crete. And he went to London to study chemistry, of all things. And he arrived in London. During this time, Elder Sofroni had left the Holy Mountain and been giving a blessing to start a monastery in Essex, north of London. And when the chemistry student Zacharias went to visit this monastery, he encountered Elder Sofroni, and he didn't leave. Spent the last 27 years studying under Elder Sofroni. So what we have in these books from Mark and Manor at Zachariah is this incredible spiritual legacy. And, and it's this that I want to share with you. So that when we read Elder Zacharias, we're reading the, the deep theology of Elder Sophroni and the lived theology of St. Silo on the Aphonite. that's forgive me, that's a long introduction. I, was, I found a, a little blurb on the St. Tikhon's Monastery website describing Father Zacharias. Father Zacharias is quite possibly the most profound witness to the tradition of the Holy Orthodox faith today. His writings and his talks have such depth and clarity and profundity concerning the truths of Holy Orthodoxy given to us in, in a contemporary voice. He recapitulates and synthesizes both St. Silouan and his own teacher, Father Sophrony of Essex, in a concise manner that brings the deepest aspects of our faith to any reader. Father Zacharias is a man of prof- profound holiness and prayer. He is a true holy elder of our time. And his, inri- his writings are incomprehensibly the best of our day. So if you get nothing out of this homily besides this introduction and this encouragement to get to know the writings of Elder Sophroni through the books of Archimandrite Zacharias. Now this particular book the subtitle is The Theology of Elder Sophrony: The Three Stages of the Spiritual Life. Elder Sophrony discovered or noticed um, or characterized that there were three stages to the spiritual life in a very practical way. Now you may have heard other fathers of the church talk about three different processes, illumination and sanctification and divination. Um, and these are not the same as those. So they, they correlate because those processes can happen at any time. But the three stages that are characterized by um, the writings of uh, Elder Sophroni um, characterize spiritual life is really, really helpful. Now, the problem is that all of the fathers are really careful about prescribing any sort of pattern or formula to the spiritual life. Because we are all unique. Our loving Father has made us different. And our life of faith is unique to us. Just like the relationship of you parents to each of your children is different, our Heavenly Father has a different relationship with all of us yet, because we are part of one body, the church teaches us that we have much in common. And Elder Sophrony noticed this pattern that he saw over his long life. The first spiritual stage of the spiritual life, he doesn't really give names to these, he just describes them. The first one he calls the beginning stage, and in it are faith is necessarily immature we're young this stage of faith happens when we first turn to Christ when we first turn to God with our whole heart and we, we experience his pull and we experience a grace that is new to us we experience Christ's energies and he draws us in and many of you still perhaps remember this first grace that we experience Long services, what? Give me more. Fasting? Bring it on. Prayer rule? More. More services. We have this enthusiasm. We have this intensity of our experience. And we experience this grace in this very program. Yeah. It's not anything to sort of earn that. It's this free gift that God has given us. He's poured out His Spirit on us in this tangible, uh, exciting sort of way. And many of you can probably remember that. It hasn't been so long that many of us have come to faith. Now, some of us may be thinking, I haven't experienced that. I don't know what you're talking about, Deacon. And maybe particularly some of you youth who were baptized. You didn't necessarily choose all of the Christian life. You grew up in a Christian family. Or maybe your whole life you were raised in the church. And you never have had yet that moment where you have turned to Christ with your whole heart. When you've offered yourself to Him. So I want to encourage all of you That that grace, that initial grace of the beginning stages of our spiritual life is still waiting for you. It is still waiting for you to turn to Christ with your whole life. And you will experience that grace that you perhaps have seen in other people. I think we have people in our parish that have experienced this and are still experiencing it now. And it is, it, is, it is energizing to be near such people. I knew a young person, for example, who was raised in the church. Um, she was uh, baptized as an infant and had come from a pious family. And yet in high school, she encountered Christ in a way that she hadn't before and at that moment even though she was baptized and had experienced the grace of baptism she'd already experienced um, that but in her teenage years she experienced Christ in a new way and it was like the the first stage of the spiritual life had begun anew for her and that first grace happened That first phase is when people tend to lean towards the monastic life or perhaps they think about becoming priests. I remember at Father Theodore's 10 year anniversary of his priesthood, I had been in the church for a short time and I met a friend of his from from California who had come to visit and she met me and I had been in the church for maybe a year or so and she said so, thinking of becoming a priest? Yeah, they all do. When we first come to faith, there is this great grace that God gives us. And it motivates us, and it pushes us forward. And then, something happens. This grace does not father of the church say that God withdraws that initial grace. He pulls that grace from us. And some of us, looking back on our beginning of our faith, we look back and they go, wow, who was that person? I remember that zeal. I remember that. What is that? That initial grace is withdrawn and it's time for the struggle of the second stage to begin. Some fathers have called this his abandonment. And God, of course, does not abandon us. He is never, ever far from us. He loves us, but he withdraws that first grace. And we now have to change the way we relate to him. It involves struggle. It's more difficult. The ease of our prayers and the ease of our life in the beginning have decreased. And some of us might say, well, that's not fair. Why would a God who loves us withdraw that grace from us? Well, if you've ever watched a toddler who is learning to walk, they realize it's slow to crawl and walk, so they always want to be picked up. And if their parent picks them up, They'll never ever learn to walk. Well, you get the do you say to her, Oh, a parent doesn't love that child because they 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 won't let them they won't let them walk? God wants us to learn to walk in Him. He wants to let us go. Some of you may have a college fund for your teenagers. Do you give it to them when they're 16? Do we continue to that grace upon our children, that would be dangerous. In the same way the grace of the first stage needs necessarily by God's will to decrease so that we could learn to depend on Him. So that our, that our faith will not be a matter of that initial emotion and enthusiasm but will be a matter of a maturing faith where we learn to know Christ. In this second stage, we often feel God has abandoned us. We don't feel His presence in the same way. And yet we know we still do experience His grace. We experience it in the Eucharist, in, the, in His body and His blood. We experience His grace in the fellowship with one another. We experience His grace tangibly freedom of repentance and confession. Experience His grace in the unexpected moments when we feel His comfort in our struggles. When Jesus went up to Mount Tabor, He took His clo- three closest disciples. Kind of seems like it wasn't fair that He didn't take the others. But He took His three closest disciples. And in the hymnology, it says that He showed them His glory as much as they could bear. Our Lord, in the second stage of our spiritual life, gives us grace. And He gives us as much as we can bear. As much as is useful for us to enter in to this dynamic life in Christ. It is in this second stage where some of the scriptures that St. Paul says to us make sense. It says, this is where we work out our salvation with fear and fear where we take up our cross daily and follow Christ. This is where we learn to see God working in every circumstance of our life. There are times when we do not like the circumstances of our life. And we are tempted to say that God is not in this. That God is not with this. But God is ready to pour His grace out to us. Rather, to meter His grace out for us. As much as we can bear in that. So that we will, to Him, our whole hearts... It is in this second stage where we begin to confront our passions. Where we do the work of being a Christian. Where we examine our lives and where we continually repent and turn towards Him. This is where we begin to live the life of faith. Before we, where we learn to live a life in Christ sometimes it feels as if our faith is just hoping against hope. We live day to day in the hope that God will deliver us from these difficult circumstances. And when we turn to Him with faith, He proves over and over again that He does. In the words of Father Zacharias, But we must be resolute. Either we will live by faith or we will not. The book of Revelation says that we must not allow us to loiter. Lukewarm in the false security of the middle ground. In our day, we are experiencing a dynamic increase of evil. And we find ourselves caught in a surge of iniquity even as it gathers force. As Christians we must place ourselves in a different, indeed contrary, dynamic increase which grows not away from, but towards God, so that the evil around us will spur us on to do good. Father Sophroni taught that even the most tragic circumstances can have great spiritual benefits hidden within them. But we are wholly responsible for the direction we choose to follow. We can either remain inert and lifeless or we can engage with a dynamic increase in the life of God. And this is a word I want to ponder for a moment. The second stage of our spiritual life, which by far is the longest stage and it may be with us till the end of our days or near the end of our days, is this time for us to engage in this dynamic increase. Okay? Now, if if our if our excuse me uh, I, this is not traditional but um, when I visualized these three stages um, in my mind I saw a graph and I thought I could in the air but that, right so uh, I made a graph forgive me but okay didn't label it very well and not all of you'll be able to see it. Let's see if this will work. Can you see that? This is a perfect, it's not a perfect. pattern, but I wanted to, the idea. In the beginning, the first stage of our spiritual life is characterized by this kind of smooth sailing almost, this wonderful experience of God's grace. And we are united with Him, and we start the spiritual life, and we aim our life towards God. And at some point, that grace is withdrawn, and we enter into a time where we can characterize it as a struggle—the struggle for the spiritual life. Where we have this this middle zone here, and this is where I would call this dynamic increase. Now, when the Greek writer uses the word dynamic, they don't mean charismatic lots of personality people use dynamic they mean strength and force this is the time that we in our lives enter into a forceful relationship with our Lord when we strive to live a life of faith now this doesn't look very fun it doesn't look very easy. There's all these ups and downs. Don't we just once... I mean, many of us may have... Gone, you know, we go out we our groove, you know, we kind of got the orthodox thing. going down, it's okay. I'm finding my rhythm. Now, in our lives, there is a rhythm. The rhythm is that of struggle and grace, of reaching out towards God and God satisfying us with His grace. It is not the sense that we find some easy groove and it's just smooth sailing. If the going is getting easier, you might be going downhill. Now I said that this this thought first came to me to talk about the stages of life when we talked about the Gospel. And I want to talk about today's Gospel and how this relates to this. The gospel parable where the king has a banquet, a wedding banquet for his son, and is inviting lots of people. They won't come. They have other things to do. They don't prioritize this. They won't come. They don't respond, and they do not come to experience this joy of the kingdom. The Jews, they understood that this parable was being spoken to Him. The Jews understood that the Jews were the ones who had been invited to this kingdom and now were excluded because of their choice. This parable is right after Jesus enters into Jerusalem at the triumph, He is on His way to the cross and His parables and His teachings are strong. But to us, who are now called, since the Jews did not respond, the invitation went out to everyone And that's We have been called. And we are invited to the wedding feast. For us Christians, this parable is a parable of the wedding feast that we are celebrating right now. The Divine Liturgy is the great wedding feast of the Of the Son of the King, the Son of God, has come to unite Himself to His bride. And not only are we His guests, we are also His bride. And it is in this context that we read this epistle, or this parable. And who is it who gets to partake of this? wedding feast of this incredible race that we experience. The scriptures tells us it is the one who has on their wedding garment. Somebody arrives in well today, a wedding garment on, and they are bound and cast out. So those of us who have arrived today with our wedding garment on, are invited to this feast to partake of the kingdom of God. It is in this liturgy that we experience grace greater than any other, other time. Grace is available to us if we have prepared ourselves, if we have come ready to receive, if we've come with a an expectation that God will meet us. And if the garment that we should have arrived with today? Fear of God with faith and with love, the wedding garment is to put on the wedding garment is to put on love, and love Himself is Christ. In our baptism, we receive the, the initial grace that unites us to Him. And it says, in the reading that we read at the baptismal service, all who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And the sense of the language is that we have put on Christ like a garment. Have we put on Christ today? We are putting garments on eager anticipation that we will get to join in and celebrate this holy feast. Have we really... Joined ourselves to Christ in this dynamic increase in the life of God? Or do we get in the cares of life? Truthfully, we all of us are in some middle space. We all desire to know Christ. We desire to unite ourselves to Him. We get- We get distracted instead of our being completely focused towards Christ. Our hearts are dissipated in other things. We earnestly desire this life, but somehow we fall short. Forgive me, brothers and sisters. A wise person once said, don't talk too much, they'll forget everything you said. I did want to talk about one thing that's connected to this. And I wanted to ask you some questions. Have we really entered into this life of dynamic increase? Are we daily putting on the life of Christ? Are we daily clothing ourselves with His grace? Are we reaching to Him? Christ far away. He is pursuing us. He has targeted our hearts, and all we have to do is repent from what we're paying attention to and turn towards Him. And He is always right there. The trick is that we we don't turn to Him as often as we should. And in, in trying to, turn to Him, there are so many other things that get in the way: wealth, our activities, entertainment, living. In the life. And we're surrounded by this intensely secular world that wears us down, and that makes us forget our holy wedding garment. So, I ask you a couple questions. Do you pray more now than you used to pray? Do you attend Vespers more now, more often now than you used to? Mm-hmm. Do you arrive at church earlier than you used to, or later? Is this your life, or is this life yours? Is there a decrease in the intensity of your spirit? Are you experiencing less of God's grace? It might be easier. It might be smoother. It might be less. Now, there's many other questions I could ask you. And I do want to say one short thing about the last question. I have noticed that some of us arrive quite late to church. And don't worry, I have no idea who you are. I don't know. There's no one keeping, t- there's no one keeping track of tardies. When I was a teacher, I was terrible at that. Plus, my back is up. No and no one is judging anyone. But I do notice something that I did notice um, years ago. That when I come out for the great entrance, I'm sorry, when I come out in the great beginning for both of the kingdom, there are um, a lot of seats. Not very many people. I mean, something like half. And then I come out again for uh, uh great entrance, and there's a few more people, but the church is still not full. And then I come out with the Holy Ghost, and I'm the church full. a pattern, I think, that is not healthy. It's a pattern that says that perhaps we are not entering into this life of dynamic struggle, this dynamic increase in the grace of God. Instead, we are allowing ourselves to dissipate, to be worn down by the world around us. Now, of course, I know you guys know that liturgy is so important. But maybe we've forgotten. If we have a dentist and we're late, we don't get to see the dentist that day. If we have a job interview and we're late, we don't get the job. So we understand the basics. We have an interview with our Lord, an interaction with Him. He desires to meet us here. Our wedding garment is that we have come prepared with faith and with love. Now please don't take this as anything but love and encouragement and a gentle reminder. It is not a good witness to our children if we regularly arrive late to church. They're watching us and they see us and they know what we prioritize, not just with our words. Our children are watching us, and it, it, in many studies it show that the youth are leaving the church at right? high rates. And of course, some of us would say, well, it's our kids who are making us late. Which is often the truth. Then it is our sacred duty to explain to our kids why this appointment is so important. Okay, Your parents are screaming at you to get out the door to get to the dentist. Let's all try to be in the holy liturgy on time. So that we can be ready to enter into this grace-filled experience. God knows both this life. He is ready at any moment to pour out his grace upon us as much as we can bear in the circumstances we are. So let us all together, knowing what we know, knowing that God is calling us in this second longest, biggest stage of our spiritual lives, to enter into a dynamic relationship, a forceful, energetic relationship with our God, so that we might know Him, and so that He might unite Himself to our hearts And that we can live in that grace. And with the great hope that someday we will be able to enter into that third stage of the spiritual life. Which is characterized by consistent peace. By the fullness of the grace of our early days. And grace poured out above measure because we have done the work in the middle stage to defeat our passions. And we have allowed God to lead us in this dynamic faith and life in Him.